Welcome to part two of How to Enjoy Experimental Films Conversation with Stephen Wollison. In this part of our conversation, we're going to take a closer look at Stephen's own work, having previously looked at some of the history and discourse surrounding the techniques he uses. Stephen is emphatically not an artist who thinks of his own work in isolation, so you will hear discussion of other filmmakers, as you did in the previous episode, as well as a conversation about the role of the artist in society. But not before we've had a brief tour of Stephen's home studio in Montreal. Yeah, I mean, we've just moved from an apartment to a house about a year ago, a year and a half ago. Okay. So I rebuilt everything here. And, but now it's a lot better because everything's enclosed. So like I keep all the stuff back here. I mean, it's the first time in since I was living alone that I've like, what, in maybe 17 years, I've actually had a space to work in. I can't say it's made me more productive because the problem with being down in your own space is that you can't hear what's going on with kids upstairs. And it's like you feel a lot more paranoid about, you know, like, should I stop? Should I check? But when you're immersed in a space where your family is, it's yeah. a lot easier to keep on working. I, I don't think it's really a benefit. I think it keeps everything private and enclosed. But if you have kids or animals or a lot of people visiting, it gets a lot more distracting. Well, I suppose, yeah, I guess there's, there are ways that you could monitor what's happening elsewhere, but then it, yeah, you've got the problem of being invasive then, haven't you? So, Yeah, if you're monitoring, then you're watching the monitor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I found it a lot harder to focus here than mm. when it, where I used to live. What drew you personally to direct filmmaking, direct animation? I guess in my case, it was, I wouldn't say, it, it's not really boredom, but it's kind of like, like I said earlier, curiosity because I was making documentary films and uh, I didn't know about McLaren. I mean, I knew he existed, but I had no idea how he worked. I didn't know how any experimental filmmaker worked. But when I was ruining a lot of film by making documentaries, I said, well, rather than throw that film in the garbage, I think I'm just gonna draw some stuff on it and then add music to it. And that's how I started making works like uh, um, uh, Son of Dada and Pepper Steak and uh, Didri Novo, which just uh, rubbing letters on it and then adding music onto it later. And I found that they were doing pretty well and people were watching them and I really liked watching them. And I thought, wow, I've, I did this this with so little, you know, and, and it's just like it was, it, it, it was um, one, it was encouraging. Uh, two, it was, um, it was uh, stress relieving. And three, it was a nice chance to, you know, to to reutilize the things that I was going to originally throw away. So yeah. why did I start doing this? I'd like to also I'd like to say that to impress my friends, because we all used to sit in our in my basement in each other's basements, smoke drugs, and show each other what we were doing. Like uh, I, I, my friends were graphic designers, uh, musicians uh super eight filmmakers so we just like show each other stuff so if we every saturday if we got together we have we better come up with some stuff to show each other so, like obviously the graphic designer friends they worked in school you know like they were in school making stuff and uh i, I was in, in college so i said oh geez i better make some stuff <laughs> so we were showing each other each other's stuff and adding music to this stuff and you know, we turn on the Super 8 projector and then 
pop down the needle on, on a vinyl and just like listen to these two things together. So that's it, you know, just like. Yeah. In the 1970s in the suburbs, we had nothing else to do. There was nothing. I mean, you know, we only had three channels on, 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 on the antenna. We had nothing to do. So we had no, we didn't play, I mean, video games, you had to go to a, an arcade. So you couldn't play anything at home. So we made stuff and did drugs. <laughs> It's one of those very regular questions when when you look at experimental filmmakers and somebody will say, were they high when they made this? And I end up going, well, probably. Or it looked better when you were high. After yeah. <laughs> How would you introduce your films to somebody that's new to them? It's it's usually better if, if someone uh, like if someone were to host me uh, at a festival or a, a cinematheque. Uh, I always like hearing what somebody else was drawn to to invite me there in the first place and uh but if it were me introducing myself i i, I say look i i'm just someone who just has a grand curiosity in things uh, and i and i i want to be a participant rather than just a viewer and that's what my motivation was and i and i invite anybody who has the same kind of um um curiosity like i did just to you know i mean really it is hard to introduce myself into why i do things but i guess it would be just to you know come on i'd love to talk to you about what we can accomplish together you know as me showing and you watching what do you think you know like i love the dialogue that goes on between the filmmaker and the audience you feel that's a collaboration then between your films and audience? Well, definitely, because things move so quickly, it, it encourages, and well, and also things are so varied that it almost encourages a dialogue about, uh, and a lot of questions about why, how, like the questions we're asking right here. And I think that's a, 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 that's a, a huge motivating factor. And I think that that really encourages people to speak up about something because when it's not literal on a, on a, on a screen, people feel much freer to put their two cents worth, you know, like I'd love to have this in my town or, or like, how can I get a hold of this? Or how can I see this? You know? And if you're there answering the questions and helping them through the process, it becomes really pleasant for everybody. You know, I occasionally get asked, why do I like experimental films? And I said, well, the, the simple answer is I like existing in the same space as them, as, as I would with a piece of artwork that I would hang on the wall. Yeah, um, that's a good answer. It, it's great to share, share your space with something else that you, that you invited in. Yeah, but also it's, it's great to walk out of an, a, a screening saying, oh boy, that was a waste of time. What did you think about it? And it's like, or that was great. What did you think? You know, it, it's great that if it carries out, if it carries beyond the cinema even for, for one night or two nights then that's a really good thing too mm. you know that you you know you 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 can exist beyond that two-hour block that you that you know people yeah. are watching your stuff people who are interested should do what i did mm. start to find out stuff at least we have the internet i mean the only reason i was ever able to do this in the first place was um because my film teacher in in college show uh, rented the films of len lai or his most recent time recent one at the time free radicals and showed it to me uh, back then there was really very little but now we have the tools 
to search for uh, direct cinema everywhere. And I think for a lot of people starting now, we live in a really good time. It can't uh, be anything other than a good thing, can it? The fact that we well, have yeah. access to this material more than ever. Yeah, I mean, even if it's uh, even if it's uploaded illegally or legally, or it's just it's just written words and stills, we we can write entire books based on what's on this uh, on this device. I suppose that ties into your Vimeo as a curatorial platform, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely a, 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 like like the reason I put so many films on it is because I don't really feel I'm I owe I owe it to anybody to keep the films off of it you know like I really want to to uh, uh, use this as a way to to communicate to other people mm. and also say that you know we're not hiding anything by not showing each other what we do I mean a lot of people don't want to I mean they'll show their film and then they'll take it off of all platforms so they you know they don't have to uh you know they figure okay no one's paying me for it so i'll take it off i i'm happy to keep them all there and and you see your development through them as well I yeah. Suppose. yeah and and i and i also i also enjoy getting emails from other people asking questions for something i've done maybe 15 years ago 20 years ago like uh is it or when they get asked questions like is it possible for me to do this it's these kind of questions that, uh, you know, I want to, you know, inspire the, 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 the curiosity of people. One of Stephen's hand-painted films called Casino won a prize for visual music. I wanted to know if Stephen identified with that term, and if so, how he would define it. I would, that's because it's the easy answer. It's like, yeah, is it visual music? Yeah, it's visual and it's music, it's visual music. So, yeah, I, I, I do, um, I do... You, I do use that as a crutch just to get into people's lives to say, this is what we're talking about. Uh, but of course, you know, there was other films like uh, Visual Music for Ten Voices, which is a silent film. So yes, it's visual music. And then I have to, I, I look at people and I say, well, does visual music have to be auditory? Can visual music just be something that your eye takes in? That's what Brackage was talking about. I mean, his visual music was just visual because he lived in, uh, I, I believe, he, he never really wanted audit, sound and vision to be interrupting each other. So I would say that to the, somebody at the same time, you know, like we're talking about two things complementing each other or interrupting each other or, you know, like uh, how do we... You know, like, how do we come to terms with that? So the word visual music for me is just a way to start breaking down, you know, the, this terminology so people can go, hey, yeah, wait a minute. I don't need music for visual music or I don't need, I like music, but I don't have to look at music. I don't have to look at images to know what I like. So it, it op I'm trying to create that controversy, you know, just so we can all have, take, a, take a stand. There are people that take my films and they, you know, use the images only and they want to do something different to it. And I give them, I always give them permission, yeah. you know, like, oh, I, I, I have a, uh, I know a guy who plays a piano or a guitar. He wants to play to your images. Can he? I go, sure. Why not? I mean, it, but, you know, this yeah. is my way of participating with what you have in mind. Yeah, it's a participation. Yeah.
a lot of your films are are using jazz music. So what about jazz music in particular do you feel complements your work? Well, it's not all jazz, but some jazz that uh, I really like the um it, it's hard to say is that there's a, there's a lot when I'm listening to it there's a lot uh, that I can attach myself to it. Like uh, sometimes when I'm listening to a, a, a particular piece, there are, uh, there are aspects inside the music that I feel a kind of like harmony with. Like for instance, if, if it's a quartet, I'm kind of like, ah, okay, I heard this piano, this piano is coming out to speak to me. This piano feels like it has a, a, a visual element. And that's how I've been working with a lot of jazz. Not that it's jazz per se, because there's a lot of jazz I don't like. Yeah. <laughs> but there are, there are parts of it where I feel there's, there's a room inside. Uh, there's a gap in between what the musicians are playing and maybe where I'm listening to, where there's room for me to be part of it, a visual part of it. But there's yeah. room for me to exist within that, that music. So I play along. In terms of the aesthetic quality of your films, what are the important ingredients there? Well, what I feel is more uh, as much as the aesthetic is adding to the toolbox. Uh, for me, I'll never, or I don't feel like I'll ever retrace the same path twice. Although a lot of films look the same, I'll always try something new because for me, that's how I grow. Uh, for instance, if I if I've used uh, uh, white lines on a black bl bl black background, I'll try it in reverse on the next film, or I'll try found footage this way. I, I always feel like I've got to add more to, let's say, book number three. Like if I was going to write another field guide or a manual, I'd want to add new things that I've learned along the way, you know, and that to me is important. I feel like I'm giving something back. I'm sharing the technology and the knowledge. And indeed, Stephen does share the knowledge in two books so far. The first is called Recipes for Reconstruction, the cookbook for the frugal filmmaker, and the second is called Scratch, Crackle and Pop, a whole grains approach to making films without a camera the latter of which is still available from various outlets, including the Revoir store. I believe there's a very strong connection between experimental filmmaking, like found footage, and Frankenstein, the book, because that's what we're doing. We're basically charging the, the projector as, as, as a, a Tesla, you know, and we're basically bringing something to life. Yeah, and that's, to my mind, what Mothlight was all about, Brackage is bringing the moth back to life. That's what I think about when I'm sitting around drinking a cup of coffee on the deck. Uh, like, <laughs> he was Frankenstein. <laughs> Another key aspect, obviously, in your work is use of found footage. So, and it, that comes from a variety of sources. But why did that become important to you? Well, for two reasons. One, I, I like like Frank. Like here we go about Frankenstein. Is that I, I really like having a like a, a dislocated image that has no that where i can strip it of all of its reference you know like like uh like the trailers and the hollywood uh, bits of hollywood films I, I i know that people know where those images are coming from or a lot of them and i'm showing you how that i can strip them of meaning and just use them for the quality of the image and that to me is why i was so interested in found footage is just basically 
removing something from a hole, reshaping it and spitting it back out in, in my words. I mean, I never liked Hollywood films very much, but I really feel that by doing this, it's kind of like a, uh, it's like kind of a, a protest. I mean, it's important for me to use stuff that we all know in a different way. And it's like, well, in a way, it's stripping it of context and recontextualizing it, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And that's what I like. That's, yeah. I, I like that a lot because uh, when people ask, you know, where did you get those images from playtime? I said, well, you know, the, uh, the pro, it was supposed to be called Painter's Eleven. And I thought of it like, you know, Ocean's Eleven. So that's why I have pictures of Matt Damon and, uh, and you know, like all these other things. I'm trying to like, you know, like wrongly put a kind of like uh, uh, picture together that doesn't fit. Yeah. So yeah, Painter's Eleven, Ocean's Eleven, Matt Damon, Paint on Film, Jacques Tati. So I'm bringing all this stuff together and stripping it. And coming and re and like re-engineering it as an abstract film, but the layers of onion skin are there. They're there, but they're not obvious. But it gives me something to talk about. You know, like introducing the film, I get to peel away those layers with anyone watching it, saying, "Yeah, there's more. <laughs> Everything is there for a reason." It's obviously it's really hard to pick films of yours to recommend because they're very short and there's a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, so, you know, they're intense bursts, they're very kinetic, but do you have any personal favorites among your own work or films that are important to you in terms of your development? That's a good question. I think anyone wanting to see where I am, I mean, for fun, Fiesta Brava is always my favorite, and Cameras Take Five, those are two have all, uh, always been my favorites. Uh, Brouhaha, where I'm just... That's the one with the sati. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just where I'm playing. And because like those films are a good example where there is no thought that went into it before I started it. But I just literally walked foot by foot through the film yeah. and I ran into a problem. I go, well, where, how do I get out of this problem? Okay, I'll do this. So there's no forethought in any of it. I chose the colors. I chose the music and that's where it ended. Everything else was just like, hmm, here I am at foot number 53 what do i do now oh let's try this so i'm literally as you as you're watching i'm watching and i'm just watching myself maneuver from foot to foot like you know like you're walking through the forest you're, you're taking it one step at a time until done and like how do i and people say how do i know when the film is done when i run out of music no edits at all so i just walk through it until i come out the other the other side Perhaps that very improvisatory and exploratory method is one of the things that lends itself to jazz music, among other forms. I'd be remiss if I didn't also mention a couple of personal favourites myself in Wollishan's work. Some of these are available on DVD, and most are also available via his Vimeo channel. The first I want to mention is Snip, which runs for just two minutes and is set to a tune by the great Fats Waller. In this film, we see animated scissors, as well as what appear to be fragments of cut celluloid, sprocket holes and all, pointing quite directly to the act of cutting a film. Aside from the material concerns of the film, however, Stephen tells me it was also made at the time of the birth of his children, so the snip of the title also refers to the umbilical cord and the creation of new life. 
Similarly uplifting is Get Happy, set to the famous song by Harold Arlen, in which many warmly coloured animations take on joyously rhythmic forms, sometimes human and sometimes entirely abstract, timed expertly, of course, to the rhythms of the music. Lastly, I would recommend The Lost World, in which the filmmaker takes a unique approach to examining decayed film. In The Lost World, you're using, is it an x-ray film? No, actually, it's just a microscope and film. And uh, I used the x-ray um, on, I think it was Photo Booth. So it's Max Photo Booth with just like the x-ray filter. And I kind of liked it because it was, that's all live action. That was basically me, uh, the first time I got the USB microscope and I put the film on a light table and I just basically maneuvered through the film like it was a, the surface of the moon. And I just wanted to see what it would feel like so that, and then I, when I put it as an x-ray, just wanted to dislocate that, that image. But that's just raw, a couple of frames of rotted film underneath the USB microscope. Just wanted to, you know, like, you know, strip away that, the idea that it's film and that it's, uh, and that it's, I, I just wanted to turn it into its own world. The world that I look at all the time, every time I, I draw and paint on film, it's, the reason I want people to go and see them is because they're fun. Yeah. They're, that's they're fun to watch. They were meant to be fun, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, as McLarens are fun, you know, and it, it's not, experimental film doesn't mean this difficult stuff that you need to really always, uh, you know, have a, have a degree in some sort of obscure philosophy to, uh, to understand. Yeah, like early on, I mean, uh, uh, there was f examples of fun in the 40s, like in the American film clubs. Like, remember Willard Mass, uh, what was in Willard Mass, uh, Geography of the Body? That was, I think, supposed to be fun. Yeah, and I, I actually think some of Hollis Frampton is supposed to be fun. <laughs> in, well, yeah, and uh, what, what was the one that I keep on referring to, um, uh, where it's the Irish, it's, uh, it's an Irish poem with a lot of black leader. I can't remember the name of it. but um, it, I think that is Zorn's Lemma, isn't it? Is it? Probably. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I keep thinking that there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of play in there. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, horseplay about you know the image and sound and you know listening and, uh, there's a and lot your of associations play. as well. Image associations. Yeah, yeah. A, a lot of things that one Brackage was talking about about you know the yeah. uh, you know about listening and hearing and seeing you know. So yeah, uh, he's fun and <laughs> Bruce yeah. Connor was supposed to be fun. Yeah. Mongoloid is a fun film. And so yeah, and I I think you know fun is overlooked in experimental yeah. film. And that's what I want to also say that, you know, if, if you watch a McLaren film, you're probably going to have fun because they're joyous. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had a lot of fun watching Necrology. Remember that? Uh, the film of people going down an escalator in or going up an escalator in reverse, shot in reverse. So they look like they're going down to the pit of hell. Uh, uh, Standish Louder, uh, Necrology. Uh, that's a you know like a, a little shot you know like shot over the bow you know kind of thing yeah. like watch out yeah. this is where we're going i think supposed to what you're supposed to walk out of a cinema going yeah i don't want to end up like that you're supposed to you're supposed to be charged a little bit you mentioned in an email that uh you were thinking now because you're working with the nfb as well that it's changing your uh approach in some ways but making you consider the long-term role of the artist can you expand upon this idea at all well i work at the nfb just in their conservation department so i've never actually made a, a film there and uh, and 
for a good deal of time, I've always asked myself, what's the benefit of being uh, an independent filmmaker? And being an independent filmmaker means that you can judge how much people are going to see your film in, in the long run. Uh, we, I use the NFB because I see a lot of NFB filmmakers make their film, get promoted, get wide distribution, and then it goes onto a shelf. I mean, the NFB has made 15,000 films since their inception in the 19, mid-1930s, 1939 maybe. Uh, yeah, they've made 15,000 films. You can't promote them all. And I'm thinking, well, since I'm not promoted by anybody else, what's the benefit to me of promoting myself? And I think the benefit is uh, knowing how to speak about yourself and knowing how to how to preserve your own work. So if anyone asks, well, oh boy, I'm sick of being an independent filmmaker. Well, there's a lot of benefits. You're never going to be put on a shelf as an independent filmmaker. The only person that can shelf you is yourself. Whereas you, if you work for a government body, you can be shelved in so many ways. Winning prizes helps your, your, your producer improve his brand. I actually asked the producer, I said, you know, uh, you know, what's the value of, you know, like winning at film festivals? Well, it makes the brand better. Well, you know, that's not really a good answer. It's in, in, as far as I'm concerned, you think if you know, you're thinking yourself, uh, your company or your institution as a brand. So all the filmmakers are at the service of making the brand better, not making themselves better, but just adding value to the brand, in this case, the brand of the NFB. So I never want to think of myself as a brand. And it ties into one of your found footage films, which is Uprising, where mm. where it's as if the, well, in your write-up, you say it's the, the figures in a mainstream film rising up. Are they going to destroy capitalism or something along those lines? Yeah, yeah. They're rising up against themselves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> against their own brand as well. Yeah, yeah. And they're definitely being used in a way that they never intended to be used. What is your ultimate goal yourself in introducing audiences and potential artists to experimental films? Maybe my own, my own survival. Maybe by introducing experimental filmmaking, I'll be thought of as an experimental filmmaker. You know, I mean, it's getting back to branding, you know, like if I'm branding myself, then maybe, maybe I can help prolong the people viewing my films, maybe it just won't get thrown onto a, a you know, like a a, a, a pile of junk. I mean, uh, the problem is like uh, uh, Joseph Cornell, who promotes Joseph Cornell anymore? Before Lipset, before, um, you know, before Bruce Connor, he was the first, but nobody's, but if nobody promotes him, he gets forgotten about. I mean, how many people out there, I'm talking to you, on it, know Joseph Cornell, who remember him as a filmmaker? I mean, his films were really uh, quite significant, especially in the history of found footage filmmaking. So if more people promoted him, maybe more people would remember him. I don't want to be forgotten. I don't want my books to be forgotten. And I figure that's why I'm writing books, is to prolong me. Because a book can be on a shelf, for, and seen by a lot of people long after people stop watching my films. The book, to me, is as important, if not more important, than the film. Because the book talks about making the film selflessly, telling other people how they, too, 
can participate. I definitely want um, want people to f- discover what I've done and do it for themselves. Yeah. So I, I just hope it. Uh, I hope I'm right. <laughs> I hope I'm right about all this. It has been. A, it's been. It's. It's a fun trip. So if you need a fun trip, why not start by checking out Stephen Wollison's Vimeo channel via the link in the show notes. I'm sure you'll agree that his insights were well worth the two-part episode. If you like what you've heard, don't forget to subscribe. We'll be back with more very soon. The music for the show is by Gabriel Ness. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye.